Tennessee, well done. Yeah, like I still, I still don't take this Tennessee team seriously yet. We'll see. Oh, what they nine can and do. seven, take it, whatever. Go yeah. Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Week one is in the books. There were some surprises, some not quite so surprises, and some outrageous moves around the league. So let's have a look at everything that happened. So hey, we got Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How are you getting on, Ronan? Any crack? Oh yeah, football's back. Can't be too unhappy about that. Mm. And uh, you know, plenty of action on the field. Finally, some interesting games, and. Uh, Plenty of action off the field as well. Uh, mm-hmm. A grand conspiracy oh, play. No, of course, yeah. This is, <laughs> it's been, yeah, there's been a lot of crazy stuff in the news of late, and I suppose we'll, we'll be flying through a lot of it. Um, we were not expecting to have this much news to put into the week one, and so we'll try and fly through some of that. Yeah. I must say I was quite impressed. I actually got a crew of people to watch the football with here in Iraq, which was pretty right. nice. Well, so, you are going to the American University. Well, you're going, you're, you're part of the staff at the American <laughs> University. Yeah. <laughs> But um, real, so. yeah, but it was good fun, and uh, yeah, one of the guys used to teach Tua, who's uh, I think the expected to go number one overall in the draft next year and stuff. Kind of good fun, nice, nice crew, and uh, yeah, pretty good. So I suppose we'll just fly in because there's a lot to get through, and some of this will be a bit older for some of the listeners. But yeah, so Antonio Brown, uh, after all of the shit that was going on with him in Oakland and his frostbitten feet and him not wanting to play in his helmet and all of this kind of crap. He is out. Oakland released him after revoking all of his guarantees. So they docked him about $450,000 in fines, I think. That pushed them over a limit that meant that they were able to void all of his guaranteed money. So he demanded an exit and they gave it to him. And then, cue, lo and behold, all of 45 minutes later... He signed up as a Patriot, a one-year $15 million deal, $9 million guaranteed, and he gets his way after being a little shite and throwing his toys out of the pram. For the second time. For the second time. <laughs> so, for anyone who's keeping track out there, the results of this is Antonio Brown threw, threw his toys out of the pram. So, Pittsburgh Steelers are currently paying him, I think, $20 million this year against their cap. They... We're given a third and fifth round pick from the Oakland Raiders, who then gave him $35 million, then voided most of that, and then sent him over to the New England Patriots on the cheap. So the Pittsburgh Steelers are paying him nearly $20 million this year, and the Oakland Raiders gave up two draft picks so that Antonio Brown could play for the Patriots. Yeah, so it's all part of the great plan, well, the great conspiracy. I think the most fun thing about this story has been that there's certain people who are like, this is like the worst thing that's happened in football of all time. Yeah. This is a disgrace. Like, either players have too much power, this is a whole conspiracy, this is now it's supposed to work. And then other people are like, look, it's football, man. Someone using his leverage, it's a business, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, I probably go on more in the, in the latter camp. Like, I think Antonio Brown is a dickhead, but he is probably still a really good wide receiver. And I don't know how much of this was pre-planned. He doesn't strike me as someone who plans that far ahead. But I think once all of the nonsense in the offseason, which obviously came to a massive head when he basically got into, well, nearly got into a fight with the GM, Mike Mayock, in Oakland, like the guaranteed ratification was a, like a fair move by that stage for Oakland. Uh, at that point, you know, there's lots of rumors about what 
Antonio Brown did at that point to try and get released and not happy forced to play without yeah. guarantees going to a social media consultant, consultant stuff yeah. like this and then posting you know, a video of him and John Gruden having a phone yeah. call about him being a prick yeah yeah and I think just like at that point he's like I want out and then, like Rosenhaus his agent heard probably probably was aware that New England were interested and, yeah I can see Antonio Brown going like yeah I want to go there like Belichick I respect him like I'm actually willing to listen to him it's a weird, weird situation that New England, as they ever do, have been able to take advantage of. Been able to put him now with Edelman and Josh Gordon to create one of the best wide receiver cores in the league after an offseason where we're talking about how to run heavy. And for Oakland, I think, you know, wins take away pretty much any state. And as we'll talk about, they did manage to get a W. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for John Gruden, like John Gruden, I think basically was going... Like, I'm basically willing to tolerate anything if you do well on the field. Probably more of a Mayock move. Because I think if he had allowed O'Brien to stay after that situation, I think his just, like, his respect within the organization and the locker room would have gone down the toilet. So, New England win again. Oakland, I think, should be okay. And Antonio Brown will see how long this lasts, the, the peace in New England. Yeah, no, of course. Just It's a it's a tricky one. And like we say, it's just interesting to see the swing that people had from oh my God, is Antonio Brown okay? Is his brain pure mush into, oh my God, he's the most devious mind in the world. He's been planning this for months, the dastardly fiend. Yeah, other weird news about potentially brains being mush. Houston made a couple of trades and they don't make a lot of sense, if we're honest. So Houston had traded Jadavian Clowney for a 2020 third round pick. Linebacker Jacob Martin and defensive end Barkevius Mingo from Seattle. They also, I believe, paid a large chunk of his salary for this year as well. Basically, Houston get nothing really in return for a top-tier player. They're getting a third-round pick in 2020, but, you know, presumably either the Seahawks will retain him or they'll get a third-round pick when he hits the open market and gets yeah. top-end money. So they're basically just getting Barkevius Mingo and Jacob Martin for what is a... Maybe not the top, top tier, but like definitely upper tier pass rusher in the league, which doesn't make much sense to me. Then they turned around and decided to add to this by trading two firsts and a second for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills from Miami. Tunsil makes a bit more sense because, you know, they do need line help. They've got a terrible line, and I suppose they've just recently seen in their own division what happens if you don't protect your franchise quarterback. But they are pissing away draft picks some of them for like you know very marginal decision making like this this stinks a head coach who's getting to act as gm who's scared that he's going to lose his job so he's literally just mortgaging everything he can to try and uh, try and find himself a winning record this year the entire theory of why gms exist is to look after the long-term health of the franchise while also working with the coach, of course. But obviously, Bill O'Brien is the fact that, well, he is the GM slash head coach, and he has a certain, obviously, theory of how the team should be run. And it's not an incorrect theory. Deshaun Watson is an amazing quarterback, and he is definitely worth protecting. And they obviously invested the first-round pick in an offensive lineman this year. And Laramie Tunsil, after the, the draft kind of escapade that happened, which apparently was revenge motivated, all that kind of stuff, has turned out to be a pretty good left tackle based on his play in Miami. Um, one of the few bright spots Miami had. And I think Kenny Stills is actually a nice little pickup in that deal, to be honest, as well. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, he obviously has an offensive run football. The future of this franchise is, is Deshaun Watson. 
and you have to protect your quarterback. Now, will that left tackle save your quarterback alone? Probably not. And that was basically what happened in Monday Night Football. But I think that means if you're going to put all this money in the offense, and of course, Sean Watson's only a couple of years from getting his mega contract, then you're going to, you're not going to be able to, you're not really going to be able to afford a mega contract for someone like Jadavian Clowney, especially when you already have people like JJ Watt still hanging around. So you trade Jadavian Clowney, but I think the big issue there is just how little that they got back from. Like if they got him for like even a, a second or, or well, I think the first was his leverage to stop him being traded to anyone he didn't want to go to. He basically forced him to go low to either Seattle or like Philadelphia were in the running as well. He basically got, got for nothing, like basically swapping a 2020 third for a 2021 third and a couple of like make weights. And Clowney ends up going to Seattle with a coach who loves the defense. Like it's basically the exact opposite. Now see they have a rich quarterback, but that was only because, you know, he was a third rounder back in the day. Mm. Um, but, you know, for Seattle, they love defensive players. They love physically gifted. Well, Pete Carroll loves physically gifted players. They get someone that they really love to replace Frank Clark. It's just a really, it was a really strange set of trades. I can kind of see the logic with the Larry Tunsil one, the Clowney one. I just think is Bill O'Brien exerting a bit of power play against a player he didn't like. Yeah, no, of course. Bit of desperation here, as we said, and um, we'll see how it works out for them. I still think that AFC South is probably quite wide open, but maybe not as wide as we thought beforehand. Maybe the time is to strike now, but just the, the the price they were paying for bringing in things versus the price they're getting back for what they're losing is just, just doesn't add up to me. Like one good left tackle, surely for two firsts and a second, you could probably pick yourself up three or four mid-level offensive linemen and actually have just a line instead of one good person. More news on the players getting their way. Dallas running back Ziggy Elliott ends his holdout after getting a six-year, $90 million extension with $50 million guaranteed. This makes him the highest paid running back or the biggest running back contract in the NFL. It means he's going to be under contract for eight years, which like, I don't care how optimistic a person you are. An eight year contract seems confusing, although I think presumably the language means they can probably get out in about three or four years anyway, quite easily. Uh, They also extended their offensive tackle, Lyle Collins. They are also expected to have a deal through for their quarterback Prescott very shortly, which probably means we'll be looking at like wide receiver Amari Cooper on the outside looking in. Cause this is, they looked good and we'll talk about it later on this offseason, but like this was literally a middle of the pack offense that they're now going to be spending top money on quarterback, most of their line, uh, running back, possibly wide receiver. Like, it's a huge money sink, but I suppose, as we mentioned before, and this probably was needed to keep that Dallas offense going because it does seem to run through Zeke and to an extent through that offensive line. I like the offensive line that's kind of the received wisdom. It's a good offensive line can make any offense tick along. And I think Lael Collins, for this amount of money, compared to some of the contracts he saw in free agency, it's probably a reasonable amount of money. Obviously, someone who came in in questionable circumstances around kind of fake... Uh, stories around him at the time and they got him for a snip on his undrafted free agent contract and now they're getting a relatively good snip as their right tackle for the next five years. Ziggy Elliott, obviously, this is a huge contract. He basically gets his way after spending lots of time in Cabo and having a lot of fun, I assume, as well as working out. Uh, but as I think you used to say, it's a really, really long contract. The devil will be in the detail here, but I think the main thing that Ezekiel Elliott was looking for was a shit ton of guaranteed money up front, and I think that's probably going to be in his bank account. Like, most of that $50 million is in his bank account 
within the first two years. So, you know, whatever happens after that in terms of having to pay on like play on less guarantees going forward, who cares about that? Like as a running back, it's year to year, get yeah. your money up front. I think for Dak Prescott, we'll talk about the contract when it comes through. But I think, you know, he did have a good week one, albeit against the Giants. So maybe they're worried that if he starts playing well, then the contract price is only going to go up because as we've already seen this offseason, there's been a couple of basically retrenchments of the quarterback market and the only direction the market is going is upwards, as we're going to see in a moment. No, of course. LA Rams have also decided to extend Jared Goff, four-year, $134 million extension with $110 million guarantee. Largest guaranteed money ever in the league. He had a good season last year with the team, but also kind of, you know, if you remember, completely shot the bed in the Super Bowl. So they're hoping that him and Sean McVay continue to kind of show the magic they have. McVay's been very vocal on this topic, saying that he is his quarterback and that he wants him and he would basically quit and travel to go and work with him somewhere else. So um, obviously he's found what he's looking for in that quarterback and he sees that he can get the development there uh, and they you know they got that success last year they want to keep it going uh, they also extended their tight end Tyler Higby as well but I think it was like a four year eight million a year kind of deal or something like that so what do you think I understand having your quarterback and wanting to keep him there I don't think Jared Goff is a like 110 million dollar guaranteed kind of quarterback no I think you know he is a system dependent quarterback but he is in a system which is really, really, really effective under a head coach who's very good at basically getting his quarterback to do what he wants. And I think that's the main thing for McVeigh. He's found a good fit for his system with the play action, needs someone who's decisive and who has a good has good arm talent. And I think, you know, Jared Goff, when the defense confuses him, like happened in the Super Bowl, then his flaws can expose. Between the ears, he doesn't have that elite quarterback brain, the ability to read or play the defense. Mm-hmm. But within this system, the system does that work for him. And he's really, really effective at getting that job done. So I think for McVeigh, you know, maybe you could bring a journeyman in and do that for you. But why take that risk at the moment? And I think for Jared Goff, you know, he has gone to a Super Bowl, so obviously he's not completely useless. But yeah, I think there's always going to be that worry mm-hmm. that when he comes against the very best defensive minds like Bill Belichick, he can get exposed and yeah it's a bit of a worry when you give all of this money away in one go but as I say with the quarterback market the way it is you don't really have any other option these days yeah and this is an interesting side note this is I think the fourth or fifth player on the LA Rams that they've done and they've extended before the final year of their contract as well so they're kind of really pushing that kind of if you play up to a level we will pay you early kind of approach uh so a couple of other transactions from around the league atlanta have signed julio jones who a three-year 66 million dollar contract nearly all of it guaranteed in 64 and a half million makes him the highest paid wide receiver in the nfl very much deserved excellent player yeah just overall good this is a nice story as well because over the over the summer we kept hearing Oh, Julio, what's the story of your contract? And he said, look, Arthur Blanks told me he's going to get me sorted. He's going to get me sorted. It's all good. And there was literally no animosity there. They just expected to get it done and got it done. Yeah, and I think Julio Jones, you know, we're talking about all these other wide receivers out there, like Antonio Brown, uh, like Tyreek Hill, who also mm-hmm. got an extension, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Julio Jones has been an exemplary teammate, an exemplary player. And his production has been among the best players in the league while he's been on the field. And his health issues have been less prominent in recent years, so there's no reason why he can't continue to be one of the top receivers going forward. And he's now going to be paid like so. No, of course. Uh, Kansas City extended wide receiver Tyreek Hill. 
three years, 54 million, 35 million guaranteed. So this makes it a four year, 56 million contract for them. So obviously the tumultuous off season, which means that essentially like when you look at this, it's averaging out of 40 million a year. That's a haircut on where you would expect it to be in the open market. So I think that's probably a trade-off that they made for getting him the money now. There's been some rumors as well that he needed money injection in now. So being able to have the, uh, I think the signing bonus is something like $6 million for a guy who was drafted in the later rounds. That's a big lump of money as a change. But yeah, there's also, as you'd imagine, they're believed to be significant conditions and, and clauses in the contract around conduct off the field and stuff to make sure that they think pretty much all of the guaranteed money would be uh, retrievable in the instance yeah. of something like that. Not a great start for the, the, the contract with him picking up a, an injury, a very yeah. rare injury apparently, a, a sternal clavicular joint injury. Very <laughs> rare, doesn't require surgery, but has a very uncertain uh, timetable. But you know, Tyreek Hill is probably feeling a bit better about getting some of the money up front with an injury. Yeah. But I think he, when he comes back, which he should, he'll continue to be the you know athletic productive freak that he always has been you know i think this will be a snip by year three if he's still around at that point yeah indianapolis after their quarterback deciding fuck this i'm going home they've signed up jake brisket two years 30 million dollars to 20 million guaranteed a nice touch for kind of a player who they had under contract they could have had him playing for cheap but they kind of lock him up that means if he's good they've got him on his second year pretty much very cheaply so it's uh, it's not too bad at all they also decided to sign quarterback brian hoyer to three-year 12 million dollar contract which is very very rich for a uh, for a backup contract a couple of other ones from around the league jacksonville re-up miles jack their linebacker four-year 57 million dollars at 33 million guarantees he proceeded to then uh, get into several fights and i believe get kicked out of the game as well for starting fights against the chiefs yeah when he was being taken off the field, it looked like he was like trying to fight his own staff at that point. Cincinnati signed up Gio Bernard to your 10 million, probably a bit higher than I would have expected him to be getting, but it proved to be useful as Mixon got injured there. Who else are they paying, Connor? That's that's, that's a fair point. Uh, Joe Hayden gets a two year deal, Rodney Hudson gets a three year deal, and Mike Pouncey gets a one year deal. So, uh, yeah, kind of a lot of bits and pieces just getting done at the tail end of the season. Name players who get their kind of fair fair market value there in Gio Bernard and Joe Hayden. They're happy enough to get their money, I suppose. Kansas City signed running back LeSean McCoy for a one-year $3 million deal. Reuniting with Andy Reid. And I believe the conversation, we'll talk about this later, was that uh, the LA Chargers were trying to pick him up for pretty much the exact same contract. So uh, he looked decent enough in the last game, but I'm not sure how much is actually left in the tank for him is the only issue game plan they have in KC it's incredibly running back friendly and we saw in week one that that basically ended up being true mm. I think he's a good change of pace from Damian Williams who's more of a scat back I think just having just a kind of old, uh, old school but a more traditional running back is a good choice in the Andy Reid offense mm. just to complement that no, of course. Uh, controversy corner, we'll have a little catch-up. So we mentioned that Zeke's holdout is over. Uh, Melvin Gordon's holdout is continuing. And my God, it is uh, it's not going well for him, let's be honest. So he's expected to be out for kind of somewhere between six and ten weeks at this point. Mostly because he can miss ten games without affecting his free agency status in the following year. He was allowed to go out and look for 
trade partners, but they haven't been able to find it. The report that was going around was that the Chargers wanted a first and another pick for him, which, of course, let's be honest, is not happening as someone who's in the final year of a running back contract in the NFL at this point. The only known offer they offered that was doing the rounds was that Philly did offer Jordan Howard plus a mid-round pick swap with them, which they said no. The head office of uh, the Chargers also came out and said, well, we're not bothering to negotiate your contract anymore. Talk to you later. And I've just closed the door on it uh, while also kind of letting it leak that they were apparently offering to make him the fifth or fourth highest paid running back at his position. So this is probably the worst position he could be in. They're not going to play ball and mess around. He's not going to be able to get a trade because no one's giving up that much capital for a running back in that position. And let's be honest, their backfield of Eckler and Jackson did great this week. So it really doesn't look like they need Gordon back in the building. We saw early on last year that, you know, they've dealt with uh, Gordon before and they got it okay. Like Gordon obviously had something a little bit extra. He got like maybe a more complete skill set, but between Justin Jackson and Eckler, they have enough. And yeah, like, so I think they're offering basically money as probably a little bit above Devonta Freeman money, but he obviously expects to be in that kind of elite cohort of running backs with the mm. Ziggy Elliots, with the David Johnsons, with the Le'Veon Bells. Todd um, But I just, like Melvin Gordon's statistics, his production doesn't, and his injury profile just doesn't match up with those guys. Mm. And, you know, he just doesn't match up to those in any way. And for him to suggest that he should be getting about around the same money as them, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see why, the, I think the Chargers offered him probably what he's worth on the market. But if he strongly believes he could get more in free agency, which to be fair, he might get a little bit more, but he's going to be giving up a whole year of money to get that outcome. And mm-hmm. we saw with Le'Veon Bell at the end of the day that, you know, the kind of attitude problem, I suppose, that comes with that is that, yeah, you, you may end up getting more money next year, but will it have been worth all the money you lost in lost game checks this year? I, I somehow doubt it, to be honest. I think yeah. he'll like get maybe David Johnson money at most next offseason, even if he is a free agent. Yeah, so, we'll see. The other well, thing is it's such a devaluation of the position these days. That, yeah. I no. suppose he feels really strongly about that. He has made that very clear. So yeah. for him, it's obviously not just about the money at this point. No, of course. But uh, I think I think you can get away with that when you're in that elite tier and he's just slightly below that. And uh, Washington offensive tackle Trent Williams' holdout is still going on. Some say he's going to be back soon, but we don't know anything. Uh, stay strong, Trent. Don't give those Mazungas what they want. A <laughs> uh, couple of bits of injury news. Nick Foles, Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, has injured his shoulder, possibly gone for the season, but uh, he's on IR boomerang, so he can come back. They've picked up the Pittsburgh backup uh, to join their team, but Gardner Minshew II, who we were texting each other about, saying, this is a character that's been auto-generated on Madden, had a really good showing. Uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit later on, but yeah, so it's unfortunate Nick Foles is injured this early on, but Minshew looked good. It makes Jacksonville a lot less fun. Like, maybe Minshew is a solid quarterback, but I think even in the brief cameo that Foles had, we saw uh, like a a really nice rainbow to DJ mm, Shark. That was lovely, um, yeah. And, I, and that's the kind of stuff we expect from Foles, those kind of big dick Nick plays. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, even if they manage to be effective going forward, certainly won't be as exciting to an outside observer. So we miss you, big dick Nick. We'll, 
we'll hopefully either see you at the end of the season or in 2020. Yeah, no, of course. I'll fly through a few more. So we mentioned Tyreek Hill's got a shoulder injury, uh, so it'll be a number of weeks, so it's a bit of an unknown timetable. And Mahomes uh, injured his ankle, but isn't anything too serious. San Francisco's running back core took a hit. Tevin Coleman's got a high ankle sprain, so it'll take him for several weeks. And Jarek McKinnon, uh, just before the season... That is knee flare up again, so he's gone for the season. Darius Guys for the for the Mazungus is injured his knee and he's gonna be gone for a couple of weeks. Uh Devin Funches has broken his collarbone, so he's probably gone for the season. Malik Jackson has a list Frank injury, so he's probably gone for the season. And Chris Lindstrom has broken a bone in his foot and he's gone for about eight weeks. So any of those jump out to you. Obviously the San Francisco backfield is a bit of a mess given that like they've so much money tied up in players there and they just can't seem to have them healthy at any time. Yeah, but I've always found that strange because like, the Shanahan system is one of those ones that I always felt is relatively running back agnostic. You can kind of stick anyone in there and they'll do well. Kind of similar to the kind of Kubiak system mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, I'm actually more worried about someone like Darius Geis with the Mizungus uh, simply because you know Jay Gruden had made the choice to basically not even activate Adrian Peterson in week one. Uh, and throw shade. And throw shade. <laughs> True shade them. And, you know, basic veterans in the locker room are unhappy. And now Darius Geist out for multiple weeks, likely. So he's going to have to come crawling back to Adrian Peterson and basically say, oh, it's your game, it's your team again. Now, obviously, like, you know, maybe Case Keenum and this new receiver set are going to be the, the, the future of the franchise. But I think... At the running back position, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a joke for uh, Jay Gruden based on this, a bit of a cruel joke. Um, Malik Jackson, don't underestimate that. Philly are a team that love their defensive front, and Malik Jackson was a major acquisition, so it'll be interesting to see whether their defense, which had a questionable performance in week one, whether they uh, manage to still kind of stay up to the kind of uh, levels that we expect from them. No, of course, and I suppose with that, we're going to move over and have a look at all the games from week one. So what we're going to do for the first week or two anyway, just to, because, you know, I think everyone wants to hear a little bit about their teams. We're going to try and run quickly through all the games and just do a couple of quick talking points on each and things where we liked what we didn't like and what we're hoping to kind of see from these teams yeah. going forward. So first up, Green Bay at Chicago, 10-3. to This was a snooze fest, as I'd say, one for the purists, only if purists take themselves. Like taking football back 100 years. Thank yeah. you, NFL 100 celebration. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> needs the forward pass yeah basically like there was some good defensive play in this but like Mitch Trubisky looked pretty awful Rodgers didn't look settled at all in this game either and yes they are two good defenses but you would have hoped to have seen a little bit more out of them also this Chicago team just didn't seem to really know what it wanted to do at times they were getting production out of the running back Montgomery when he was on the field, but they only had him on the field for like nine or ten snaps. Like they just went entirely away from what you would expect them to do, and it just looked like a team that wasn't really ready. Yeah, I think you're always worried about this because Matt Nagy's offense last year did involve a lot of trickery, a lot of misdirection, a lot of that type of stuff. And while Andy Reid seems to find new stuff to do every single year, it's a question whether Matt Nagy will be able to do the same this year. And if he can't, 
that puts the pressure back on Mitch Titties, you know, get himself up and ready to play quarterback and when people actually know what you're going to do. And based on this performance, there's certainly a chance that many more defenses are going to find them out. Now, whether the Packers defense just happens to be that good now with all the additions that they made in the draft over the last few years and in free agency with the two Smiths who had good pressure there, maybe that's a note, maybe that, maybe this is just a really good defense now, but I think we were all the question for Mitch Trubisky coming into this season and his first test, he definitely failed. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, next up, we had Kansas City at Jacksonville, 40 to 26. Yeah, like Kansas City's offense looked very much exactly how we expected them to look. They put up 40 points with ease, even with their number one wide receiver out with like, an injury. Like, I know Andy Reid is known for, like, blowing out week one, but, like, blowing out quarter one of week one, this was, yeah. like, next level, like, let's just ruin the, like, ruin the life of Tom Coughlin straight up front. Like, it was kind yeah. of ridiculous. It was, it was just absolutely mental, to be honest. Obviously, the Jags, like, their defense which has meant much vaulted in the off-season, kind of fell apart. There was a lot of ill-discipline. They weren't helping themselves at all. Yeah, and obviously it's hard to tell, particularly with the loss of their starting quarterback, what they'll look like further down the line. There was definitely pieces there, and they got were getting a lot more production out of the wide receivers than I would have expected going in, given that they were kind of not used to playing with each other all that much. But uh, it was pretty good. Like, the defense for the Chiefs didn't look incredible, but also, like... They only allowed 13 points until like midway through the fourth quarter and then they just stopped caring. So I think, it, <laughs> like this is the thing, it was there was nine minutes left and it was 37 to 13. Like there was just no point yeah. at that point. And then they still had a few bits. Like there's there's worries, particularly in the cornerback group at the moment. Uh, various Ward looks like he is going to be a liability throughout the season. You weren't hoping to be the best defense, but it is a bit worrying that they didn't. They looked okay, but you weren't seeing perhaps enough progress uh, I suppose the other big question for KC is with Tyree Cal you know Sammy Watkins is carrying a load he looked really really good this week but mm. as a KC fan I'm sure you're, I suppose you're, you're excited but you're still a little bit trep- bit of trepidation that Sammy Watkins can do that week every week yeah no of course we'll see it might be, it might be a good opportunity for the rookie Michael Hardman who was drafted in case there was further issues with Tyree Kill to uh, to come in so he's going to get a shot at a couple of pieces there next up Atlanta at Minnesota 12 to 28 my God, like, I was, this is the one that I think I was texting into our group the most about. Like, what was going on with Atlanta? They, they, they were, scored nothing until I think, was, they, were they yeah, shut out? The, yeah. Like, they were shut out the whole way through. It was just awful. Minnesota looked incredible. They bullied Atlanta off the pitch. Like, in this game, Kirk Cousins thrown through the ball 10 times. Yeah. And they comprehensively beat Atlanta on both sides of the ball. Their defense looked like the Minnesota defense from two years ago, mm. absolutely shutting down what we thought would be one of the best offenses in the league. And their offense, they basically went ground and pound. Dalvin Cook and the rookie Alex Madison both looked really good. We're getting like 5, 10, 15-yard carries every single time. Like if Mike Zimmer, this is Mike Zimmer's wet dream of how to play football, just ground and pound. None of this throw-in bullshit just gets the job done. <laughs> None of this having to rely on your fucking kicker, that's for sure. But, like, it's it just like the fact that Atlanta was just so comprehensively bullied. And Dan Quinn, remember, someone who's coming from Seattle back in the day, someone where, where they were known for be tough teams, they just looked completely overwhelmed. And, like, Matt Ryan and the rest of them just looked, yeah, they just made so many stupid mistakes. Like, there was a couple of, like, a little pick that Matt Ryan made 
that was just, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. So it's very worrying for a team that we were hoping would have a comeback this year. Um, but it just seems like Atlanta had stalled out in week one against a team that's just ready to go in Minnesota. Yeah, one one looked like they were ready to play week one and one looked like they were getting ready for the, like week three of the preseason. Next up, Tennessee at Cleveland. Stop the hype train. I want to get off. 43-13. to 13. Cleveland got manhandled in this, uh, giving up. Like, just nothing was working for them. My worry is that this means that we have to consider Tennessee a real team, which I am not willing to do just yet. There was strengths in Cleveland. You can see that they hadn't gotten used to playing with the wide receivers. The chemistry and the timing wasn't quite there. Their offensive line was atrocious and was just letting Mayfield get battered. And I think Greg Robinson, like as their left tackle, which is bad enough, then got himself ejected for kicking someone in the head. Yeah, oh, I remember that now. Yeah, I've forgotten that. Ridiculous like. No, nuts. Uh, and then, like, to, to top it all off, like, one of the major concerns for Cleveland I'd have going forward is this is a young team. This is a team that's got a lot of personalities on it, we'll say. If this goes against them, if they have to try and turn it around, I'm not sure how they'll deal with that. And even within the game script, like, this wasn't that far. Like, this was a pretty close game up till the end of the third quarter. But when things, when the wheels came off in the fourth quarter... Baker Mayfield just kept forcing it through a shit ton of interceptions in the fourth quarter. So, uh, uh, you know, the macro of how the season will go in terms of a young team mm-hmm. within this, like, microcosm here in the fourth quarter when they still had a chance to get back in, they, they didn't just blow up. They, they absolutely imploded on themselves. And you have to be concerned about that um, mm-hmm. when you look at this, you know, inexperienced coach and his, you know, now second-year quarterback. No, of course. Uh, Buffalo at New York Jets, 17-16. to 16, uh, Just proof that the AFC East is going to be handed again to the Patriots. Uh, the Jets blow a lead after Mosley leaves. They had excellent defensive performances from both sides, but particularly the Jets, until he had to leave the game, and then uh, they started to fall apart. Still, there were some issues in the cornerback groupings for them, but there was just so many missed opportunities in this game. Buffalo on the road at them give up four turnovers and they can't capitalize on them. They're missing extra points. They're missing field goals. They're just like for a team that like we've talked about beforehand has good pieces and Le'Veon Bell looked very good in this game and he seemed to have a good connection once he got going. But fuck me lads. Like you get four turnovers and he scores 16 points at home against Buffalo. And it's just like both teams seem to, you know, try to throw the game away. One in the first half, one in the second half. And yeah, Kara Bedvik, like their their kicker, and they're already they're already running, they're already holding their next uh, kicker tryout. So <laughs> that experiment did not go very well. Uh, but yeah, I think for the Jets, I think the players that they brought in all seem to do well. But Williams looked okay in his first play. Obviously, CJ Mosley looked well. Actually, Law went off, and Le'Veon Bell looked great. But you know, we're really worried about this team and its depth, particularly at positions like cornerback. And I think it was exposed by a Buffalo team that I wouldn't quite get the ticker tape out for just yet. I think, you know, well done to Buffalo for coming back, but major questions about these teams going forward. Wild card spot at best, uh, I think, for either of these yeah. two. Baltimore and Miami, 59-10. to 10. There's very little to say about this game. Lamar Jackson looked incredible. Their defense looked incredible. Baltimore just looked like they were fantastic. Miami looked like they are staffed by 14-year-olds. Like, no one was playing at all. It was awful. They allowed a 100% completion rate for RG3 when he came on. 
Yeah, uh, the fact that the, after the game, reports came out that multiple uh, veterans in Miami are already calling their agents asking for a trade out of Miami gives you an idea of how embarrassing it was to be a Miami Dolphin. Uh, and Josh Rosen came on. Uh, the great hope, I suppose, for this year, if you're Miami Dolphins fan, and his second throw was a pick. Yeah. Uh, good luck, Miami. It's going to be a tough 2019. Uh, but Lamar Jackson, uh, the Baltimore fans are salivating right now. Maybe he is a real quarterback. Yeah. He wants to tell you that. We won't, we won't, we won't know for another week or two because they did not play an NFL team this week. Uh, Washington, Philadelphia, 27-32. I thought this was brilliant to watch because I was sitting with two Philly fans and, like, just the two halves of this game, Philly getting absolutely destroyed, nothing working for them. The Mazungus looking like they had just figured it all out. And then all of a sudden, wait, Deshaun Jackson is back in Philly. Let's just start throwing <laughs> bombs to him. Oh my God, this works. We forgot. We're playing a terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible team. It's, Let's it's just funny. destroy them. Like, there, there's, a, there's a story in, from back in the day with Man United when they're under Alex Ferguson, the very famous mm-hmm. Sir Alex Ferguson, to give you an idea of how good he was, where they were playing Tottenham Hotspurs. And at halftime, he basically said to the players... Come on, lads, they're Spurs, and they went on to win the game. And basically, apparently, D-Jax gave what's effectively the same speech going, you know, like, I've been in that locker room, and, you know, if I, if we were in that situation, I know they'd be saying, we got this wrapped up, and <laughs> so we know that we can take them, because they're not going to be prepared. And D-Jax and Wentz, they absolutely hammered them in the second half, and for the Mazungus, you know, after such a promising first half, it was very a return to form for what we were kind of expecting this season. No, of course. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see what Washington looked like next. Obviously, the, the, the issue of losing their starting running back and so on will cause some more problems, but they were so promising and then just collapsed, so it'll be intriguing to see. Next up, Rams at Carolina, uh, 30-27. to Rams looked a bit shaky to start, but then kind of got back to it, went back to Gurley a little bit more, started to get use out of him. Started to click, particularly in the second half of this game. Uh, they're splitting carries, which is a bit interesting. Um, but, you know, they kind of said they want to try and spare him a little bit and kind of keep him going for the whole way so they don't have a similar thing where he's not there for the playoffs. Uh, Carolina looked pretty good in this thing, although there was still a lot of mistakes and rust here and there. So yeah. what do you reckon? Are they one that might kind of just shoot right on up as we uh, as we progress through the season? Yeah, I think, you know, in the preseason, I was very worried about Carolina, like what was happening with Cam and just in terms of the team in total. But obviously, they have Christian McCaffrey, who once again just went off and got a shit ton of yards. But I think Cam, he doesn't look fully healthy, he doesn't look quite as pacey, but I think he's still still effective. And I think that's enough for this team, which looks to be pretty good on defense. I think the Rams, they look as strong, well, nearly as strong as they were last year. So I think Carolina kind of kept with them most of the game like step for step mostly so I think they could be encouraged that they should be able to rack enough wins to be relevant at the end of the season in the NFC playoff race no of course Indianapolis at the Chargers 24 to 30 overtime win for the Chargers um, they look good like we mentioned good running back play some nice work with the receivers their offensive line not looking good at all and also their defense really just getting gashed by the run all day long Marlon Mack had a day like I think like the Chargers they look kind of like the Chargers we'll see if they can improve but they kind of look who we expect them to be but the Colts obviously Brissett did pretty well especially in the second half though like I saw like people saying oh well, they can feel better with that but to be honest, I'm going like it makes me feel worse because just imagine how good the team would be with Andrew <laughs> Luck because they would have won this game 
Adam Vinatieri hadn't missed three kicks in this game. So I think for the Colts, yes, it's encouraging that you haven't collapsed like you did the last time your quarterback went out a few years ago. But uh, it does kind of make you yearn for what you could have been uh, in an alternate universe where you could have protected Andrew Luck early in his career. No, of course. Cincinnati at Seattle, 20-21. This was a bit of a surprise for people. Not for me, because I thought that Cincinnati were going to be good this year. And it looks like I might be being proved right. Uh, Dalton, <laughs> Dalton did pretty good. Nice passes. They finally started getting some production out of Ross. To be honest, also, like, Mixon got injured in this game, so they had to move to Bernard a lot. It would have been interesting to see how they would have done if they had uh, kept him. And their defense under this new kind of coordinator who I didn't know anything about actually looked pretty damn good because it's not like the people have changed. It's just the way they were being coached has changed. Seattle Seahawks... They looked okay, but still a bit shaky. Not quite what you were expecting. Better on defense than I was expecting. I'll give him that much. Yeah, well, Jadavion Clowney is a scary man. It was like he was chased Andy Dalton out of bounds, and I think Andy Dalton knew who was coming after him, and he was he was jumping pretty quick, not looking for any extra yards. But yeah, for Seattle, pretty much exactly the same problems as last year, where every single like Pete Carroll, I believe, is just addicted to a scoregami and B, having games be as close as possible. And so it came to be this way. I think the offense, they just ran the ball even when it was really working, and then they just managed to win because they got a couple of shot plays, to, to, well, a shot play to Tyler Lockett that worked out. Mm. But I think Metcalf looked good. So, you know, they got better as the year went on. They usually get better as the year goes on. So I think that's the hope um, again this year that they can start, they can build on this. As long as they're racking up the Ws, then it doesn't really matter how you get them. No, of course. Uh, the Giants at Dallas, 17-35. to 35. Actually, uh, my wife's sister and her husband were actually at this game. Neither of them NFL fans, but it looked like it was uh, it was good fun. Uh, Daniel Jones made it in for the tail end of the game as Dallas kind of romped to it. As to be expected, Scott, Saquon got his touches. A couple of other players did well. Uh, not as many as he... He didn't get as many touches as you'd expect, considering how effective he was. Yeah, it's true, but they were kind of down early and kind of needing to try and chase. Yeah, like, we both said that we thought Dallas were going to look good this year. Their offense should look good. My God, it looked very good there, didn't it? Kellen Moore's system seems to be working well for Dak Prescott. They've got a happy Zeke Elliott there. Like we said, they've locked down that line who did their job really well. They coasted to this win. We don't know how good the Giants are, but they're probably not that good. Eli's going to be pulled pretty soon. But Kellen Moore... A lot more passing that we're used to from the Scott Linden era. And if they can keep that up and if they can do that against the better teams, then it could be really interesting in Dallas. And obviously we know the defense is pretty good already. So yeah, Dallas definitely one to keep an eye on. This could be someone that will be the teams will be frightened of come January this year. Too early to really go with that, but uh, I think the early signals are good for Dak and his big, big contract upcoming. Yeah, of course. San Francisco Tampa Bay thirty one to seventeen. See I look at this and I remember at one point this was a close game and then Jameis Winston just started to pass to the wrong colour. And then it was just so terrible. San Francisco didn't look sharp at all coming out here. They was one or two good pieces, but I suppose like they, they're still figuring themselves out. This is like, what, the sixth game that uh, Garoppolo's played for them or something along those lines? So like I can understand that to an extent. Then Tampa Bay... You know, defense keeping it a little bit close, doing a halfway decent job of, let's be honest, not a good game of football. And then, yeah, Jameis doing Jameis things. What do we say he does? If he can find a way to lose a game, he'll find it. Yeah, EWs and shit picks. That's the Jameis Winston way. Um, 
you know, you don't get to keep the W to eat them, Jameis. But like, yeah, this was the derpiest game of the week. Um, just about beating out the next game we'll talk about, but just so many penalties, so much sloppiness. Like neither team really deserved to win, and if either of these, if neither of these teams like book the shit, book the fuck up, we're not going to be talking about them much in no. a few weeks because they're just going to be immediately out of the running because it just, yeah, both quarterbacks look questionable, both defenses look questionable at times. It's just not really seeing any spark of hope for either team right now. No, not at all. Uh, Detroit at Arizona, twenty-seven to twenty-seven overtime tie. Tyler, we get our tie. Was it first week last week, last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well, or maybe that was the second week actually? But yeah, this was like how much hype can a Kyler get on basically oh one my quarter? God, like this is the thing. Like <laughs> Detroit had this game in hand; they were destroying them. Arizona looked awful. Kyler Murray had, I think, four batted passes in the first half. Given that the record for the most last year was sixteen across the entire year, like keep an eye on that. And then all of a sudden, the Lions just decide, oh, wait, yeah, fuck this. We don't want to play football. Let's just let them back into it. Arizona have a quarter of looking good. Start Not not dissimilar to the Philly one. Oh, wait, yeah, we've got a good older receiver. Let's just start flinging bombs at Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> like That was pretty much their solution to getting back on track. And then they looked halfway decent. And now everyone is focusing on the fact, oh, did you see that fourth quarter? Rather than, did you consider that game as a whole? you know there's a kind of a stink of Detroit after last year and it was definitely continued this year that they just they just seem a bit listless they kind of lack that energy and consider like you know Jim Caldwell who obviously did okay with them like you know they came back you know remember that famous run of Stafford coming back in so many games Mm. whereas now they feel like a team that will become back on if they get ahead they just don't look like a team that goes for the jugular when they have the opportunity to do, which is not that often, to be honest, because they aren't a great team at the moment. And I think the fact that they let Kyler Murray in, it just looked very questionable when they were playing actual defense. Just, yeah, this this was a game that they deserved to tie based on how ineffectual they are, especially because they had a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter if they had not taken an ill-timed timeout. That on a play that went for a first down. So, so that just gives you an idea of how derpy the Detroit Lions were when they threw this game away. Yeah. Uh, Arizona had a chance to get a pick in the very last play uh, to get a field goal. They derped that away too. So much like that tie six six between Seattle and Arizona a couple of years ago, this was one that the tie was very morally deserved for both teams. Yeah. Next up, Pittsburgh at New England, three to thirty-three, and absolutely dismantling. New England looked incredible both sides of the ball. They didn't even have, you know, Antonio Brown on the field, and they looked this good. Pittsburgh looked, Not fair, Connor. yeah. Not fair. Pittsburgh looked awful. <laughs> Their defense looked all over the shop. Their offense didn't know what it was doing. I I understand how good the New England team is. I like my bold prediction of the season was that the Pittsburgh Steelers would implode, and we're started down that path. I think. Yeah, you're quite prescient about the AFC North. It seems so so far, like. Yeah, I think you know, we we expect New England to be good, but they have a you know they do have a reputation for being slow so, starters. You know, after failing to give us an exciting Super Bowl, the one thing they were good at, and now failing to start slow, another thing they're supposed to do. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but it sounds like New England might be ready to go with their like new jazzed up offense, which didn't even have Antonio Brown yet mm. to go on a tear this year. Yeah. Uh, and if they do, that's really scary and a little bit unfair because you've already won enough New England. You don't need any more. 
poor punter needs KC to win a Super Bowl. Well, this is the thing. When you look at this team, like you look at that performance against Pittsburgh, like it's hard to think of who would actually be able to uh, to challenge them. Like the Chiefs, maybe we could like we could probably go toe to toe on offense, but like our defense is not up to scratch. To be able to put yeah. up with, like, when you add Antonio Brown to that, like, that is a terrifying prospect to see as the start of the season, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think in the AFC, everyone is now being benchmarked against the New England Patriots. And, yeah, Tom Brady looked really sharp. So, yeah, just just multiple layers of unfairness um, for everyone in the AFC East in particular, but the AFC in general as well. And the NFL world, but NFL world of people who want other teams to win things for a while. Yeah, I already got week week thirteen circled now for when we go to <laughs> Gillette. Houston at New Orleans, twenty eight to thirty. This was a very good game. A lot of quarterback excitement going on. Great competition. Great receptions. Good running backs. Yeah. And Brand the nearly finish. and the nearly always expected fucking Bill O'Brien going in to prevent defense and making a shit of it in the end. (laughs) Like, fire this man already. I've been calling for it for two or three years. He's not a good coach. He keeps making mistakes. He's now mortgaged all of your future on picking up shitty pieces and getting rid of good pieces. Like, stop wasting a good young quarterback and an incredible wide receiver on this piece of shit idiot coach. Yeah, I believe there was uh, someone on Twitter saying that Deshaun Watson, in his very short career, has already had like four times in the two-minute warning of the end of the game, had got a game-going-ahead touchdown, and they have lost all four of those games. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Just... Deshaun Watson is being wasted, and to be fair, Deshaun Watson was probably the better quarterback in this, and he didn't have Alvin Kamara in the backfield mm. to help him out, um, and he just balled out. And you know to come back in the set like in the to to come back and do what he did in the two minute warning and get that throw to Kenny Stills who probably can is a healthy version of Will Fuller which is nice that is yeah exciting to see what Houston can do but obviously the offensive line did give up a lot of sacks their defense obviously was is questionable and Bill O'Brien is a you know a tin pot dictator um, so yeah questions there but New Orleans are good and my Super Bowl pick feels fairly safe still. After that performance, yeah, not too bad. And finally, Denver at Oakland. Oakland showed up and decided, uh, you know, we don't have no AB, no problem kind of approach. Uh, the I, the thing I cannot understand about this. So yeah, look, I'm not all that surprised that Denver don't look that good. I wasn't really buying into the hype around that at the moment. I thought their defense would be good. This is the thing that doesn't make sense to me. Can you please help me out here? Their offensive line looked incredible, but their offensive line coach is Tom Cable. <laughs> yeah, well, Tom Cable, he kind of occasionally has a good game, and I think it's just they got lucky to sing. I think, to be fair, Derek Carr has many faults as a quarterback, but being safe and avoiding sacks is, is not one of them. He is good at avoiding sacks. He plays the ball pretty quick, and Josh Jacobs looked pretty solid um, as their new you know, bell cow running back. Uh, I think for Oakland, you know, obviously the A-B thing going on and obviously the fans have are, are on the side of Oakland based on their chance during the game. Uh, but I think a win like this, which was very comprehensive, the 16 points mostly came at the end of the game for Denver in garbage time, mm-hmm. is a really good showing for John Gruden. And Oakland could do things. I don't think they're, like, considering who else in the AFC West, I don't think they can get in the playoffs, but 
they could be better than expected. While Denver, yeah, yeah very disappointed in Denver. No sacks while you have Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. Come on. And Joe Flacco looked like the injured Joe Flacco from a couple of years ago. Uh, if they don't get something sorted, that's going to get really ugly really quickly. Because they don't even have the rookie quarterback available to kind of give some hope to the fan because he's on IR. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, so what we'll do is we're going to take a few questions because we're running a little bit longer on this one. We'll just move on to the picks and we'll store some of the questions up and use them in when we're when we're back to kind of covering three or four games instead of 16, yeah? Okay, we'll move <laughs> on and look at our picks for next week. Okay, so first up, we got Tampa Bay at Carolina. We've both gone for Carolina. Quick explanation? Yeah, Tampa Bay is an absolute joke. Uh, Carolina looked good against a you know, good LA Rams team. Mm-hmm. So I think at home in Charlottesville, you expect Carolina to get a lot of free picks from the, the Jameis train no. and without with Christian McCaffrey. No, of course. Uh, Arizona, Baltimore, we've gone for Baltimore. Look, they just put up over 50 points. They destroyed the last team. Arizona had one half of one quarter that went well for them. I'm expecting this Baltimore defense to feast on this. Uh, and they're also at home. Next up, Chargers at Detroit. You've got Chargers. I've got Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers are a good team. We'll see how great they are from the business end of the season. But Detroit looked like a very questionable team. I can see Detroit maybe keeping it low scoring than you might expect. But I just can't see them winning the game when like when the defense just looks so questionable. Yeah, so Matthew Staff, like I think the, the offense in Detroit might be a little bit better than we expected because DJ Hawkinson looks okay, but yeah, the LSE are just much further along in their process of being a good team. Yeah, no, of course. Indianapolis at Tennessee, we've got differing opinions on this. I say Indy just because I still don't buy the Titans, and I think that Indy team looked good against the Chargers. I don't think they'll miss as many field goals, and I don't think the score against Cleveland reflects the actual overall quality of the team of Tennessee. Yeah, like I think it's obvious that like Vrabel at Tennessee want to make every game into a, a kind of a bar fight, low-scoring affair. I think that's much more likely with Jacoby Brissett on the other side, who shows flashes, but obviously just isn't Andrew Luck. And I think given that they're at home, I could see Tennessee just kind of grinding out a win here. This probably won't be the most exciting game this week, though. No. Uh, next up is my pick of the week, actually. I just thought I'd go for a slightly more interesting <laughs> one. Sam Fran at Cincinnati. All I... in Cincinnati. All in. I was loving the Cincy stuff that I saw. I liked what I saw in the offseason. The thing that interests me about this one is San Francisco, I think, were very rusty looking in that last game. I don't think, even though they won by two scores, we don't know much about what they actually are going to look like. I think this will be a better game to get a feel for that. But I also think that these are two teams that are maybe, like, coming into this, are probably a lot of people would have them in and around the wild cardy kind of area. I would look at them about the same kind of way of like, where are they? And this might give us, like, of games that will tell us a lot about where these teams actually are. I think this is a good one to kind of help you work out who is maybe like the the 14th best team versus the 19th or 20th, you know? I just think it really be... Oh yeah, I, I think since he could go away further up, but I think, you know, I want to see them kind of play... Uh, play a little bit more, see what they can do, see if there's a bit of depth to their playbook and stuff like that. Uh, so we've both gone for Cincy in that one. Next up, we've got Jacksonville at Houston. We've both gone for Houston. Yeah, so Deshaun Watson's probably a fair bit better than Gardner Minshew. And even though Houston have many problems, they don't quite have as many problems as Jacksonville right now. Um, so I think Houston should be able to push it through. Uh, if they don't, though... Things are going to get very ugly in Houston pretty quickly. Mm. Minnesota, Green Bay, we disagree. I've got Minnesota, you've got Green Bay. Why? Yeah, so I think Green Bay's defense should 
look, look really good. I think Minnesota, when they have an actual, like more of a test for Kirk Cousins, can they go to a more, like more, like a more open game plan? I think they just got everything that they wanted, like in week one. So it'll be interesting to see if they can adjust otherwise. Uh, I think this is a really good game. It's in Lambeau Field, obviously. So I'm going for Green Bay here. I think there's a little bit more to come from Rodgers. And I think this defense might be as good as it looked like in week one. But yeah, I wouldn't disagree with picking either of these teams in this game. Yeah, I got for Minnesota just because I like, I still think bizarrely this game is actually going to be a competition of passing versus running. So it'll just be fantastic. Like I think they're just going to try and take the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands and just leave it on the ground for Minnesota. Whereas Green Bay are obviously all about that uh, sweet, sweet pass action. Also, I just really want to know what Green Bay looked like because I don't really think I've got a good feel for it from that Thursday night game, the 10-3 snooze fest. Yeah. Uh, next up, Dallas at Washington. We've both gone for Dallas. Look, we mentioned earlier, Dallas looked really, really good and we both have them going very far this year. Uh, Washington looked pants in the second half. It looks like kind of Emperor's new clothes as soon as they realized. So, uh, yeah, I can't really see the Mazungus overcoming the Cowboys in this one. Uh, Seattle at Pittsburgh. Going for Pittsburgh along with yourself, I think. I'm changing my pick. I'm changing my pick. I'm going going for Seattle. (laughs) All right, well, I'm going for Pittsburgh. Like, I think, obviously, you're a believer that Pittsburgh are going to, like, blow this entire season. I think Pittsburgh at home, um, at Heinz Field, they'll probably put something together. And Seattle are notoriously bad away from home early on in the season. Mm. Um, so I just kind of, it's, I, I don't expect it to be a blowout either way, but uh, I could definitely see Seattle losing this. But if Seattle do win, uh, it'll be a very good start for a team that's known for kind of not really getting those wins when they should early on. No, of course. Uh, Buffalo at New York Giants is up next. So I've gone for the Giants and you've gone for Buffalo. Look, I don't care. I'm already not watching this game. It's <laughs> like, it's the second week of the season. I've already turned off. I think. Both teams are not good. I think the Giants have enough random bits of talent in like Saquon and stuff like that. that they could just win some kind of horrible 12 or 15 to 9 or something like that kind of thing. I just, I don't care. Buffalo are, there's just more action about Buffalo until Daniel Jones starts for the Giants. Hmm. I just feel like we have to go through another couple of weeks of the Giants getting beaten quite comprehensively before uh, the new era can begin. No, of course. Uh, so next up, we've got uh, <laughs> New England at Miami. This is normally a win for Miami, but neither of us have yeah. given this. Like anything is possible. Anything is possible. And you know, if you're a gambling man, maybe you you believe in the Miami curse. Obviously, the Miami miracle last year, uh, final play beating them. Uh, and if you want to go really out there, Miami are currently ten thousand to one to win the Super Bowl. So if you want to make <laughs> If you want to have a like high roll, high risk, high reward bet, you can do that too. But yeah, there's no way New England will lose this. I guarantee it. Oh my God, you just jinxed them. Next up, KC in <laughs> Oakland. That's uh, a good thing. <laughs> if they know you're doing it to stop it, then it won't count. <laughs> Uh, we both got Kansas City in this one. Look, Oakland looked good in that uh, in that matchup, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But yeah, I think. The strength of the Kansas City offense is going to win out the day in this one. I think this will be an interesting one to see how our defense looks as well because 
They were very good in Oakland at getting out quick passes and not allowing pass rush to get there. And given that a lot of what we would see the potential strength in the KC defense being is the pass rush and the run blocking and, uh, and uh, yeah and the, and the run stuffing rather than having good corners and stuff, I'd, I'd be very intrigued to see how Spags is going to try and scheme up the defense for this one. Next up is your pick of the week, and to be fair, it is a doozy. New Orleans at LA Rams, and we've both gone from New Orleans. Like we know that these games results for them probably won't matter because both these teams are likely to win their divisions either way but I think it's an early opportunity to get a feel for where both these teams are in terms of how rusty they are I think the Rams we saw a team that looked effective all over but obviously have moved away from like God early mode into you know balancing the running back position but obviously the wide receiver game looked good but I think you know at times the Rams were found out with their system very occasionally, unfortunately, one of the cases the Super Bowl um, is New Orleans with their defense, which is very hit and miss, very hot and cold over the years. Can they scheme up uh, assistant Dennis Allen and, and the defense scheme up something to slow down this LA Rams offense? Maybe. And if they do, if they can't, can their offense blow past the Rams enough that it won't even matter? And I think on balance, I think with both those things. You know, combined, the probability is that the, the New Orleans Saints can do enough to take out the Rams here. But I think, you know, it's a it's an early opportunity for both teams to set down a landmark and see who is going to be, you know, king in the NFC. Because, let's be honest, an NFC championship rematch wouldn't be very surprising this year. Yeah. Uh, next up, Chicago at Denver. Uh, oh, and uh, let's hope there's some PI reviews, all right? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So we got Chicago at Denver. Uh, God, I find this one a hard one to pick. I might swap my pick actually to yeah, look, look, look swap. I'm going to be Chicago. Denver looked really awful against Oakland that time. They, I I find it hard to pick this game because Chicago looked terrible. Their defense looked good, but their like their offense looked terrible. The last day, but I just got to hope that they're going to figure something out. Both going for Chicago. Denver looked pants. Their defense is good, and I can't imagine that's going to do nice things to a very immobile Joe Flacco. Yeah, this is a, a get-right game for both teams, perspectively, but I think we, we have more faith in Chicago getting right this season. Yeah, next up, Philly-Atlanta. We've both gone for Philly. Yeah, Atlanta, very disappointing. Obviously, we know that they have the talent that they could come back and storm, especially against the secondary in Philly that did make the Mazungus look really good in the first half. So Atlanta could exploit that, uh, but I think Philly, you know, they have the pedigree. They have obviously showed the ability to come back uh, in tough situation. And Atlanta just looked like a team that's bullyable. I think Philly are a team and a coaching staff that are willing and able to do that if they get the opportunity to do so. Yeah, no, of course. And finally, Cleveland and New York Jets, the hype train crash. Uh, both of these teams with such high expectations coming in and both lost and didn't look great. So uh, I think, yeah, we both agree here. Cleveland, we expect to come out the winner just because... Yeah, like, well, the pain rankings, mostly. <laughs> yeah, pain rankings. Like, there's there's more talent on Cleveland. Yeah. They don't have a good offensive line. The Jets' defense... The defense looked good in the last game, and they are at home. But, yeah, I think... Uh, wouldn't it be such a killer if the Browns went 0-16? Yeah, I think we just want. To, I think we're just willing to give a little bit more faith. We believe in Cleveland a little bit more than we believe in the Jets preseason, and we're hoping that they can turn this thing around. Please, mm-hmm. Cleveland, don't your fans don't deserve more pain. Certainly not zero and sixteen. Just, just don't. 
but no so uh yeah so that'll that'll wrap us up for this week uh i enjoyed the games from last week it was good a uh, couple of nice looking ones here my only problem is i'm hating any time that the uh, chiefs are in the late window here because that, those games don't start until like well half 11 here and then in about two weeks time that's going to go to like half past 12 at night and i i work on sundays and on mondays so i i've done a whole day's work and i'm like i'm not staying up until four in the morning to watch a game and then get up for work in three hours time it's a bit of a nightmare situation not even for your boys no 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 little little pat little pat sammy little sammy (laughs) and the rest (laughs) well basically yeah what i'm thinking is more of the wake up early don't check the score and watch the condenses or something like that or just have it lined up to watch but uh if you have the discipline if you have the yeah, we'll see, we'll see, it'll be fine. I need to actually get my Game Pass thing sorted now as well for uh, for the upcoming week. So I had to kind of watch and then like watch condensed versions wherever I could get my hands on them to catch up the games that I couldn't watch uh, last week. So we'll, 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 uh, we'll wrap it up there. As always, if you have any questions, next week we might move back to not covering all the games because, uh, as I said, there's already one which I just don't care about the outcome of. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're just going to slowly winnow down the field. <laughs> okay, so uh, as always, hit us up, hit us up with questions and stuff. We're up online, we're on email, we're on Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. So we will uh, catch you all. So it's bye from myself, bye from Roman. Bye. This has been all for reporters. Thanks so much for listening. We'll chat to you next week.